Listen to God's word again, please, in John chapter 15, verses 12 through 17. John 15, 12 through 17, English Standard Version. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. There are certain things we need while we are here under the sun. We need food and water, we need shelter, we need the affection and care and the attention of family. Above all of this, God, His Word, His plan, His Son. We need to follow Jesus. Also, we need good friends. Friend is a term of endearment. It denotes that one is loved. You are helped by friends. They listen to you. And you trust them. The passage I've read along with all the other truth in the New Testament leads us to this glorious summit. That Jesus is the ultimate friend. The perfect abiding friend over and over the ability to be a friend was demonstrated in the life of Jesus and this is something about Jesus we today need to hold dear Jesus was a friend to social outcasts the publicans collected taxes for the Roman government. And anyone who represented the Roman government was despised and hated by many Jews. On top of that, many of the publicans had the reputation of being guilty of extortion. I found this entry in the International Bible Encyclopedia. The tax gatherer, if a Jew, was a renegade in the eyes of his patriotic fellows. He paid a fixed sum for the taxes and received for himself what was over and above that amount. The ancient and widespread custom of arbitrariness and personal covetousness was a part of that system. 
So you can see these men, the publicans or tax collectors, were regarded as outcasts. Well, here's what happened. Jesus saw one of the outcasts. He saw Matthew, who was a publican. Matthew was seated there at the table collecting taxes, doing his job. And Jesus said, Matthew, follow me. And Jesus went with Matthew into his house where there were many, the Bible says, publicans and sinners. Well, watching all of this, the Pharisees, who had already decided they didn't like Jesus and didn't believe in him, the Pharisees said on this particular occasion, why did your master eat with publicans and sinners? They said to the followers of Christ. And Jesus explained his association with social outcasts. I'm in Matthew 9, 9 to 13. Jesus passed on from there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office and he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. So it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And again at Jericho, when Jesus visited the house of one of my favorite Bible characters, also a chief publican, Zacchaeus, Luke 19, the Son of Man is come to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus befriended people who had been turned away by society and culture. Social outcasts, people who were not in the upper elite classes, the poor, the victims, the social outcasts. Also, you'll find in John chapter 11, Jesus was a friend to the bereaved. Lazarus had been dead several days when Jesus and the disciples came to Bethany and Martha went out to meet the Lord and she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus said to her, Lazarus will rise again. She said, well, I know that. Of course he will in the final resurrection. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Martha went away and called her sister Mary. Mary quickly went out to meet the master and many of the mourners were in this crowd. And it is clear as the story unfolds in John 11 about this death that had occurred that Jesus had deep feelings of love and friendship and sympathy for Mary and Martha and the other mourners in their loss. The sadness of these two sisters and the weeping of others who had come touched the heart 
of the Son of Man. The Bible says in John 11, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. He asked, where have you put him? They said, come and see. And John reports very tersely in two words, Jesus wept. And then the Jews seeing this said, behold how he loved him. When we suffer loss and grief over some departed loved one, Jesus knows our loss and our grief and our sorrows. And as our friend, he shares that grief with us. He is a friend to social outcasts. He is a friend to the bereaved. And obviously he is a friend to sinners. At the house of Simon, a Pharisee, Jesus was approached by a woman guilty of sin. She brought an alabaster box of ointment, stood at his feet behind him, weeping, washing his feet with tears, wiping them with her hair, kissing his feet, anointing them with the ointment. Simon was watching and he thought to himself, this man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is. She is a sinner. Jesus spoke to Simon. He admitted the sinful situation of the woman. He rebuked Simon for his lack of hospitality and common courtesy. And he demonstrated that he was a friend of sinners by saying to the woman, Your sins be forgiven you. In Luke chapter 7, 36 to 50. On another occasion in John chapter 8, the scribes and Pharisees brought to Jesus a woman, they said, who had been caught in the act of adultery. We must assume there was a guilty man, but they didn't bring him. The Pharisees brought this woman to Jesus to see what he would do. The law said that such a person should be stoned. These men wanted to tempt and accuse Jesus by asking him about this woman, Jesus replied, He that is without sin among you, let him cast a stone at her. There was silence. One by one, they walked off. And Jesus said, Woman, where are your accusers? Has no man condemned thee? She replied, no man, Lord. He said, John 8, 1 to 11, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus was a friend to social outcasts. He was a friend to those who were in sorrow over a loss. A friend to sinners. They called him. They called him a friend of sinners. In Matthew eleven nineteen. Now, they didn't intend that as a compliment, but that's what they said about him. They implied that he was a compromiser or that he was in some way overlooking their wickedness. We know Jesus was a friend of sinners in a much higher sense. He described it in terms of a physician treating the ill. 
He said to the guilty woman, sin no more. That's a call to repent. His association with sinners was not to encourage them in sin, but to help get them out of sin. He was not a partaker with them in sin. He came and approached them as their loving master, their teacher and savior and friend. Jesus was a friend to social outcasts, to those who were bereaved. He was a friend to sinners and he was a friend to his disciples. And that means when they needed correction, Jesus, as their friend, rebuked them. When certain Samaritans acted in a hostile manner, James and John wanted to command fire to come down and consume them. Jesus rebuked those two disciples for the spirit which they displayed. And he reminded them, this is in Luke 9, 51 to 56, the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. So when the disciples needed rebuke, he, as their friend, rebuked them. When the disciples were frightened, Jesus calmed them. A violent storm on the Sea of Galilee covered the boat with water in which Jesus and his disciples were passengers. In excitement, they awakened him and said, Lord, save us, we perish. And he replied, why are you fearful, O you of little faith? And then he rebuked the winds and the sea and a hush settled on the sea. And these men marveled. When these men were troubled and confused about what was about to happen, Jesus said to them, Let not your heart be troubled. John 14, 1. Jesus loved his disciples and was a true friend to them in spite of their slowness to learn and to believe. Jesus was a friend to social outcasts, the bereaved, sinners, his disciples, and here's what I'm anxious to say to transition to the next part of this sermon. Jesus is ready to be your friend today. You see, the friendship of Jesus is just as real and meaningful today as it was 2,000 years ago. His is an abiding friendship. Unlike a friend who abandons us when we need him most, we can count on our Lord to stand by us, to help us and encourage us every day in what is right. He is a friend who sympathizes. He understands our problems, the pressures we are under our predicaments and our plight here under the sun. He knows, he understands. Regarding temptation, remember that in all points, he was tempted like we are, yet without sin. Hebrews 4.15 His life in the flesh, his sufferings, his hunger and thirst and painful death, he is qualified to be our most sympathetic friend. He is a friend who sympathizes.
He is a friend who helps. He is our high priest. Hebrews 7.25, Therefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for us. John tells us how he helps us in 1 John chapter 2, 1 and 2. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. He helps us through his example, his instruction, his intercession. He is an advocate with the Father. He's there at God's right hand. He's waiting to help us when we call upon him. And he is a friend who restrains. You ever had a friend? And you tell them what you're thinking about doing. And their response is, please don't do that. It's something unwise. It is against the written will of God. Don't do that. That's a true friend. Jesus is a friend who restrains. Much of the teaching of Jesus is designed to control and check our passions. Bridle desires that get out of hand regulate our feelings and attitudes. It may be at times his commands seem very hard or his laws seem impossible to keep. But he loves us. He wants us to live right and remember Proverbs 27, 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend. So he's ready to be my friend and your friend today, willing to sympathize with us, help us, and restrain us from self-destruction. He paid the ultimate price by giving his life for his friends and to become our friend. But in order to have the full benefits of the Savior's friendship, the relationship must be reciprocal. Jesus is our friend, the dearest friend we shall ever have. He wants to be our friend. But he puts it like this in the passage we read. You heard it twice this morning. John 15, 14. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Once I realize who Jesus Christ is, the only begotten Son of God, the best friend I could ever have, I should want to do whatever he says. You are my friends if you do whatever I command. Finally, have you ever had a good friend who became your enemy? Have you ever been disappointed by a good friend or perhaps abandoned by a good friend? It will never happen with Jesus. He will not forsake you. 
He will not suddenly turn on you. He will never disappoint you. He will not take advantage of you. He will help you, save you, guide you, listen to you, and be there for you even after death. But don't forget what he said. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. What will your answer be? Let's be standing as we sing.